welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. My name's Micah, if we have not met. I am the lead pastor here at Awaken. Nice to see your bright and shiny faces. First hour got off to a slow start, man. It was, they were some lazy, uh, it was a lazy morning. People were kind of like, hey, yeah, right. So glad I'm here. But you guys, you look good, really good. I mean, wow, really good. Uh, before we jump into our series, a couple of thank yous in order. Molly Morgan for organizing our little cleaning spree yesterday, huh? Yeah, Molly. There were, there were spreadsheets available for each room in the church and all of the tasks that needed to be done in each one of those rooms, exactly how I would have tackled the project. <laughs> so thank you to Molly for uh, making this place shine. It looks great. I don't know where the stand went, so whoever was in this room, there used to be a little stand. I put my Bible on it. It was right here. If we know where that is, that'd be great. Otherwise, that's all I got. I'm just so grateful the place is clean. It's wonderful. <laughs> Um, also, uh, last week you guys got a little uh, demonstration from the Focus, Be- Focus, uh, Focus Beyond, Focus Upward. I was, we joke around like, oh, you remember Upward Bound? Uh, wasn't it a movie? And then there's like Outward Bound, like Ron Shera. Now nobody can remember what, what it's called, which is terrible when they actually are here. And you're like, Focus, Focus, Focus Beyond. <laughs> So uh, a little demonstration last week from our good friend Mark. Man, that was so cool. I love the fact that that happens here at Awaken. Amen? A lot of churches, that kind of thing would have never happened, and it happened here. So there you go. It's good. The other thing I would like to say in way of thank you is Jenna Daniels, everybody. Kicked off the series last week. Well done, JD. Which allowed me, which allowed me and the family to drive 40 hours uh, to Washington, D.C. So if you're thinking about taking a trip with children under, three kids under the age of 12, um, maybe it's a good idea. I don't know. It was, it was a good time. We went to Washington, D.C. The cherry blossoms were in bloom. George Washington rode right down the mall. It was amazing. It's amazing. So that was fun. So thank you for that. I'm glad to be back. Um, We're in a series, week two of a series called Sequitur. Um, Funny little name for a series. I was thinking about this series and thinking like, what do we do after Easter? BT dubs in the church calendar, this is called Eastertide. Did you know that? Eastertide. So it's the idea that we're sort of working out what's happened at Easter. So I thought like, what are the implications of Easter? What's kind of like the logical sort of outflow of Easter? Well, it just so happens that the definition for Sequitur, friends, boom, how you like that? A logical conclusion from the premises, or a logical consequence. Perfect. It was like I was looking for a series title, found this word, boom. Peas and carrots. So this is called sequitur. We're talking about Easter. It happened, right, two weeks ago. What are the implications of the resurrection of Jesus? What are the natural things that should happen or come from the fact that this dude was raised from the dead? So that's what we're doing. Last week, Jenna talked about forgiveness, the fact that as a logical consequence or outflow of Easter, that we were forgiven people, which includes the fact that God has made a way to put things that were broken back together, amen, and that he has called us to do the same to the, to the degree that we can, right? Because we all know that life is hard and forgiveness is a very nuanced conversation and reconciliation is an even further nuanced conversation, but to the degree that we can, as people who follow Jesus, we're invited to be forgiving people, people who work for reconciliation. So this week, I want to talk about an idea that we've talked about before, long ago, 
Many of you have come since then. But it's an idea that I think is worth repeating or worth coming back to because I think it's central to what it means to be the church. And it's this word missional. Um, long ago, when you, when you typed missional into the word processor, it would spell check you. It doesn't do that anymore, so we've made progress, guys. We're, we're on the way. We're on the way. So missional. One of the logical consequences or conclusions of Easter is the fact that we are or we ought to be missional people. So the church, in essence, by definition, is missional. Now, whether, you, whether or not you knew it, when you said yes to Jesus, you signed up to being missional. So if you're not sure what that means, lucky for you, we're going to talk about it today. Hopefully I, I make some sense out of this. So what does it mean to be missional? Um, I think sometimes when you're talking about a word that may be new, it's helpful to look at the opposite of it, so the antithesis or the... Um, I think that's the antonym, yes, English folks, the antonym. So uh, here are a couple things missional is not, right? A missional church is not a dispenser of religious goods and services or a place where people come to get a weekly spiritual fix. Sometimes, worst case scenario, when we're talking about church, it turns into this idea of like a, a place where religious goods and services are sort of peddled or, or given or, um, you know, you guys pay your dues by tithing and so you're, you deserve certain services from the church. Worst case scenario, that's sometimes how it feels. That's the opposite of missional, okay? Uh, a missional church is not only a place where mature Christians come to sort of be fed and, uh, uh, or, or get their needs met. Said differently, this is, to be a missional church is to it's not to be like a bunker where everybody comes to be protected from the big bad world that we live in. That's the opposite of what it means to be missional. A missional church is not a place where professionals like me do all the work. That's why I actually, one of the reasons why I didn't come yesterday <laughs> to the cleaning that happened here. You guys, that went over better first hour, man. <laughs> I was painting some cabinets. Uh, at any rate, a missional church is not a place, is not a place where people like me do all the work. That's the opposite of missional. A missional church is not a church with a good missions program. Who grew up in a church with a board in the lobby with a cork board where you had pins where the missionaries were? Raise your hands, yeah. You could, that could be one of the outflows of being missional, but you could have that and not be missional. Make sense? So there's something different about what I'm talking about today that may or may not be included in that kind of an expression. Uh, a missional church is not in a new evangelism strategy. A missional church is not missional because it's young or contemporary or hip or there are hipsters present or any of the other things. That is not what it means to be missional. Missional is far deeper than that. Lucy agrees. Hi, Lucy. She's a talker. You guys can talk back to me, by the way. I'm preaching at my friend's church in the Bronx in a couple months. I'm not sure what's going to happen because they, they will talk back to me. So I don't know what I'm going to do when that happens. That'll be fun, though. So according to Wikipedia, which I try not to quote very much, um, this, is what, this is what they have on missional. The adoption of the posture, thinking, behaviors, and practices of a missionary in order to engage others with the gospel message. Now, I think this is somewhat helpful, but I still think it misses a really, really central part of this word and this idea of missional. So I want to try to flesh this out a little bit. I want to anchor this teaching in three, three passages from Scripture that I think are critical to understanding 
What does it mean to be God's people? A different way of saying that is, who are the New Testament people of God? Or how has God determined to use a group of people in the world to accomplish something? So they're from Genesis, Matthew, and the book of Acts. I'm going to ask you to stand, uh, and we'll read this. I'm just going to read it off the screen so I don't have to play uh, Bible trivia with my Bible up here. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 12, Genesis. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, the place where he lived. From the book of Matthew, Jesus says this at the end. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And then from Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Pray with me if you would. Good and gracious God, we're... I'm thankful for this day, for uh, the opportunity that we have as your church to gather. I thank you for all of our brothers and sisters across the world who gather in places just like this, proclaiming the story of resurrection. Um, God, may may we be found faithful to do our part in our little spot here in St. Paul in the places that we live. Take this word, these words, this text, and make it come alive to us today, God. Uh, I pray that your spirit would use it to change us to invite us, to challenge us, to make clear things that haven't been clear, to help us see you for who you really are, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Now again, for many, uh, I'm assuming this word missional may be new. And so uh, I want to look back a little bit before we look forward. Um, So historically, where does this come from? The, The word missional comes from the idea, the missio dei which is Latin for the mission of God. And there's two German guys in the 30s who are going back and forth on this. One of them is Karl Barth, Karl with a K. Another one's Karl Hartenschein with a K. Hartenschein is responding to Barth because Barth, for him, God was all about action or, or the action was all about God. That God was the one moving, God was the one doing, God was the primary actor in this whole story of redemption. Hartenschein grabs that and then says that any action of God is missional. It's, it's, a, it's on mission, it's moving somewhere, it's headed somewhere. Then there's another guy named Leslie Newbigin who studied like Christian mission uh, movement and he says this, he says, the church is sent into the world to continue that which he came to do in the power of the same spirit, reconciling people to God. Newbigin says, every Christian has been sent by Jesus with the gospel together in community to those in the surrounding culture for the sake of the kingdom, right? So this is where this idea of missional comes from. And if you you start digging in here, you can see why I didn't think the Wikipedia definition really got to that. Because there's something far deeper than missionaries. So fundamental to missional is at least ascending God, a sent group of people in the world, 
and a response from those people. So let's unpack those a little bit, all right? A missional church is one who understands the missio day or the mission of God. Now, one of my favorite authors uh, that I like to read is a guy named N.T. Wright. Tom Wright, you may have heard of. He's an English guy, and he writes faster than I can write sermons. It's incredible. Um, but so much so that I'm a bit of a theology nerd, so much so that when I go on a 3,000-mile road trip, I download multiple N.T. Wright podcasts. So that, like, you give me a good podcast and a bag of sunflower seeds, and I can drive till the cows come home. Add a little uh, 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 Sprite. It's interesting. It doesn't even have caffeine, but I like the bubbles, you know, with the, with the sunflower seeds. Give me those three things, and I am just set to go. So um, <laughs> have you ever traveled with children before? <laughs> Let's just talk about that for a second. 12, 9, and 7, friends. One day, literally, I'm not kidding you, we get in the car. We're starting a 10-hour day, beginning a 10-hour day. We go from the hotel, we enter the on-ramp, we get onto the freeway, I hit the cruise control at 75, and from the back, I hear, I'm bored. <laughs> it's like, headphones in now. <laughs> One headphone, because it's illegal to drive with two, right? <laughs> but N.T. Wright, some headphones, sunflower seeds, I'm good to go. N.T. Wright does a great job at a lot of things. One of the things he does really well is like summing up the complexity of the story that we find in the scripture to like really, really bite-sized moments that are actually spot on. A lot of times we miss things, but he seems to get it all. He has this phrase called fifth act hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is how we interpret something or how we understand something. So fifth act hermeneutics, right? Here's how it works out for N.T. Wright. He says that you could, you could put the Bible in six different acts, like a play. The first which is creation, Genesis 1 and 2. God creates, says it's good. The second act being the fall in Genesis chapter 3. However you work that out, um, it happens. Adam and Eve eat an apple uh, and choose to live outside of God's intended purposes. Act 2. Act 3 is this first move that God makes in the story of redemption. So redemptive history begins with Genesis 12.1. And God said to Abram, leave your family, your father, your country, your, your kin, and go to a land I will show you. Clock starts ticking on redemptive history right there. Act 3 is Israel, this group of people who come from Abram. Then in the New Testament you have Jesus who shows up on the scene. Act 4. This is where we are in Act 5. The church after Jesus in resurrection is sent into the world. And we await the final resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of those who are in Christ, right? So if there are six different acts in redemptive history, you and I find ourselves in the midst of Act 5 as the church between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of all in the end who are in Christ, right? So he says, this is really helpful to understand where are we in the story, how do we read the Bible, what are we reading, and where are we, and what act are we in, right? So a great little paradigm. He says this, and I would say, the mission of God, as we look at this slide, all the way from the beginning, from, from, from Israel being sent, to Jesus being sent, to the church being sent, all of these things show us that the mission of God through the scriptures is a, is a mission of redemption. It's a mission of rescue. It's a mission of restoration, of all that was lost or broken in the fall. So God in the story of the Bible is up to something. This isn't just random and the people in it aren't random and the stories in it aren't random, but rather they're telling the story of redemption. The mission of God in the scriptures is to redeem and restore and get back all that God made good. Which is why, by the way, the, the dominant story in the Bible 
if you, could, if you asked any Jew, what's the dominant story, they would all tell you Exodus, a group of people who are saved, rescued from slavery, and redeemed. It's like one, one microcosm of, of the whole story, which is why Jesus and what he does and how he preaches and the things that he does, going out into the desert, being baptized, this is all replaying the Exodus. So the mission of God in the Bible is a project of restoration and redemption and rescue. God sends Abram in Genesis 12 to become Israel. God sends the Spirit in and through the Torah. And then at Pentecost to the church, God sends the church into the world. God sends Jesus into the world. So every time for the purpose of, anytime something is sent by God, it's for the mission, which is to redeem, restore, recreate. So the mission of God is to rescue and redeem by way of this agent or this group of people been, who have been sent by the king. I mean, Game of Thrones, do you guys watch any, any Game of Thrones fans out there? Or, or some other, you know, Robin Hood, right? The king sends an emissary on his behalf to bring a message to the people. Oftentimes, like written, sealed with wax, take it to the people. This is essentially what God has done. God sends somebody Israel, then Jesus, then the church, into the world for the purpose of the mission, which is to redeem and restore and recreate all that God made good. This is the mission of God. To be missional, if you don't have this, you don't have missional. So you got to start here. Secondly, I would say a missional church understands its role or vocation in the mission of God. So God might have a mission, but if we don't understand the role that we play in that, then so big, big, no big, who, who cares, right? And to understand our role as the church in 2016, I think we got to go back to the beginning of where God's people started. So if you have that slide again, if you would, uh, Leah, if you have Israel being inserted into this as the, re- the first move of redemption by God, and they're God's people in the world, if we're now God's people in the world, then we should probably understand how that worked. Uh, so if we can go back just a little bit, and I think if we're honest, for many of us, we're not even sure what to do with Israel, right? Especially like 2016, we've got Israel, Palestine, that whole conflict. The book of Revelation isn't terribly uh, clear or helpful on how, how we understand Israel, and a small set of books that shall remain lame, nameless also aren't helpful on how to understand Israel. You can talk to me afterwards if you don't know what I mean. Um, but we can unpack that another, another time. That would actually be kind of fun. I, I, I might like that. Uh, today, I'll just say this. We have to understand Israel's role in the mission of God because it's connected to our role as the church, as the people of God. So from the very beginning, guys, when you think about Israel in the story of the scriptures, they're the first good news bringers. They're the first people to bring the gospel, the good news about God into the world. The whole purpose of Israel was for them to be the ones who heralded from the hill, God is redeeming and restoring and renewing all of creation, and it looks like this. It looks like an alternative group of people in the world living a particular way, connected to God in relationship and to each other and to the world around them. That's Israel's vocation or role in the beginning of the story. Now that goes a little askew, of course, we know, if you, read the, if you read the Bible and you read the prophets or the Psalms or even the book of Hosea, right, tells that story. But Israel, were the, they were the first good news bringers. So then, Jesus comes on the scene and he essentially takes on himself all that Israel was to be, 
their job, their role, their vocation. He takes it upon himself and becomes, in that sense, a new Israel, leading a new exodus to create a new humanity. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, I think, either Corinthians or Ephesians, he says that God is reconciling to himself us and us to one another so that in Christ, he takes the hostility that exists between us and makes us one new humanity out of the two. This is what Jesus does. So Jesus takes everything that Israel was supposed to be on himself and redefines God's people in and around himself. Now, we are in the deep end of the pool on theology here, friends, so stick with me, all right? You all know this, and you know how it works. Here's how I think you know this. Do you remember elementary school? Yes, Micah, we do. Okay, wake up. So in elementary school, I remember in sixth grade, they were like the popular kids, right? And, and there were usually a couple of them, and popular was defined by them. And everything that, everything, if you wanted to be popular, you kind of had to be in the in crowd, and you had to like dress like these kids or talk like these kids, right? Popular was defined by them until Arthur shows up in sixth grade. Arthur was a very tall, let's just say he was ahead of the curve, a <laughs> little taller, shaving, right? He was ahead of the curve, and everyone was like, wow, this guy's really cool, Fabio-like hair. So popular is now redefined around who? Arthur. We all know how this works. Jesus, in a very, follow me on this, right? Jesus essentially redefines God's people around himself in this New Testament way of being the church, God's people. So we all know how this works, but sometimes it's hard to follow along in terms of like Jesus, Israel, church, I would suggest this is essentially how it goes. So critical to understanding what it means to be missional is the mission of God. God's up to something, redeeming, restoring, renewing the world, and our role as the church in that mission. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road, gang, because every invitation has a response. Finally, for us, we not only have to know about the mission of God and know what the role of the church is, but to actually say yes to the invitation to be active participants in the mission of God. We all have to say yes. There are two yeses in this equation. There's the first one that God, and, and, and here's, I, sometimes I think about these kinds of things and maybe I'm a little bizarre, but I think to myself, if I were God, which maybe is problematic to begin with, right? But if I were God, and I were gonna like, you know, restore the world, what I wouldn't probably do is covenant or make myself dependent on you all, <laughs> right? Or me, I don't get it. It's for some crazy reason, God has decided that this mission of redeeming and restoring and renewing the creation is somehow dependent upon the yes of this alive group of people that's called the church. That's a very vulnerable place to be, don't you think? I mean, when you think about God, we think of like omni-everything, right? Omnipotent, omnip omnipotent, om omniscient, uh, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-love, blah, 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 all-everything. And then here we have God essentially like waiting for us to respond to this invitation. Do you guys remember junior high school? Do you remember the snowball dance? <laughs> yeah, picture it in your mind. All the guys on one side, all the girls on the other side, until some crazy cat, guy or girl, gets up the courage 
and walks across the room and stands in front of another human being and says those terrifying words of, will you dance with me? That's one yes. The yes to walk across the room and say, will you dance with me? Waiting upon another. We have this little kid, his name's Alex. We moved to West St. Paul a couple months ago. This kid is like cute as a button, uh, like frizzy little hair, and he's got this little lisp, so it's all the cuter. And he comes over to our house. He's like six or seven years old. And we tell him, Alex, come to the back door. The dog will go nuts if you knock on the front door. He doesn't care. He comes to the front door every time, which sends the dog through the roof, like right in the window, barking at his face, like she's never seen this intruder, you know, this ghastly human who's come to take us all down. She's barking. Alex is at the front door. I open the door, and every single time he says, hi, is Lyndon home? Can she play? With a little lisp. It's just fantastic. And I say, oh, Alex, you should come to the back door, bud. (laughs) Now, I think there's a lot of differences between Alex and God. (laughs) But I think there are some similarities of a vulnerable ask, will you come out and play? Guys, this is the ask of God to the church. Will you come out and play? Will you dance with me? I am up to something, gang. There is a tune that is playing that you have, the likes of which you have never heard. Can you hear it and will you dance with me? That's the ask. So to be on mission, to be missional, to say yes to Jesus is to say yes to the invitation, to partner, to dance with God, to bring hope and forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration to a world that's broken and needs it. Come on, y'all! That's good news, right? Now, two things as we close. You may be here today, and for the first time, you're like, geez, that sounds like a kick in the pants. I want to get in on that. I don't know what this whole church or religion or institution thing's been talking about, but that sounds like fun. Then I say, saddle up, partner. Look, here are more hitchhikers. Pick them up. That's from Dumb and Dumber. Like, let's do this then. Say yes to Jesus. Follow. Like, orient your life around this person who says, not that way of being human, but this way of being human. I promise you, this leads to life. I promise you. And I'm trusting that promise. This community is trusting that promise. So join in with us, and let's start bringing what we're to bring to the world. Now, you may be here as a person who has followed Jesus for a long time, and I want to just stop for a moment and say to you, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling Like, maybe my work, the vocation that I'm in, isn't quite as special as somebody else's. Like, person who has reverend behind their name or pastor behind their name. Like, their job is really special. But mine, I just drop the mail off. Or I wipe the snot off of kids' faces for a living every day. God, for eight hours every day. Gang, listen, I want to invite you to consider the possibility that whatever it is that you do can be seen and participatory in this story. What you do is not small. It is not 
It's not mundane, it's not boring, it's not meaningless. In fact, it has great meaning and great power because when you say, I'm a part of this, then I come to my morning and I see all the Cheerios laid on the floor and all the kids who are screaming as mom or dad, and guess what? You get to see the seeds of life that God has embedded in these beautiful creations and you get to name them and bring them out and say, this is who you are, this is what God made you to do, and to love them and give them a picture of what the divine looks like. Come on now, that's special. If you're a teacher, you get to walk into a classroom with 30 kids who are asking, who am I and what is my life about? And you get to speak truth and life and hope over those kids and say, this is what I see as one who is sent by God to redeem and restore and renew. As a person who shows up to a business deal, you get to do it with authenticity and integrity and honor so that people don't get exploited or the people who don't get to ask the questions get to ask the questions. So when you show up and you sign those papers, that deal is is a life-giving deal. It's actually generative. Why? Because you've been sent by the God who's life-giving and who's generative. Come on, amen? So the things that you do, the work of your hands, it matters, it can matter, it, it does matter a great deal. And I wanna invite you to wake up tomorrow morning and whatever it is that you go to do, to stand there and say, I am sent by the divine to bear the image of the God who made the world and who calls it good and wants it back. That's what I'm doing today. Whoo! First hour did not get this. Man, I am on a roll. Come on, church. So, friends, I want to I invite us into a time of response. We saved uh, a, a number of songs of response to the end here. And so I want to invite you to just uh, to, to hear what God is saying. Whatever the Spirit might be inviting you to or prompting you to or showing you for the first time, to really lean into that and listen and sing it out if you meet it and if you can. <sighs> All right, here's what we're going to do. I want to offer a word of prayer. We're going to have a time of silence because I think God speaks in the silence. And then we're going to sing. The prayer team will be available. If you feel like God's doing something in you, uh, sometimes just having somebody bear witness to whatever it is. Words create worlds. So whatever is in here, say it out loud. Get it out, because words create worlds. They change. It changes how it works sometimes. So have somebody bear witness to it. If you want to stand a couple of these tunes, I would, I would, I would, I would actually uh, dare you to stay seated, because it's like, oh my gosh, Yes! So do that if you want to, all right? Okay, let's pray. Uh, you, whoever's coming, you can come. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, the good news that you are, uh, you're, you're up to something. You're doing something in the world. You are on a mission to redeem and restore and renew and recreate the things that have been broken and that are filled with darkness. And you have said, will you dance? So God, in these next few moments, would you say it again? Would you tell us again how much you love us? Would you, would you speak your mission in our ears and in our hearts, and would you invite whatever it is that we do, whatever is in our hands, to participate in that grand story of redemption and of rescue and of reconciliation? So speak, Holy Spirit. Come, say what we need to hear, I pray. My friends, my brothers and sisters, church of Jesus, I want to remind you today that you have been sent by the God of all good, the God of love, the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of forgiveness, the God of redemption, the God of restoration has sent you into the world for good, to be agents, ambassadors 
of all of those things. So whatever it is that you do, stand in that place. Get affirmation and life from that place and go into the world. Do the things God has called us to do. I want to remind you, if you want prayer for anything, our prayer team would love to pray with you, for you, over you. As you go, receive this benediction this morning. May you leave this place knowing that you have been called and invited into the sacred and unfolding future of God's restoration. In Jesus, God has spoken yes over you. And today you stand with hands open saying, yes, God, send me. Use me. So may you be filled May you be empowered by the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, to reflect God's image into the world around you. Grace and peace. Go build a kingdom. Get out of here. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community. Or on Twitter, Awaken Community. See you next time.